Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 22. It is said that the best description of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ is found in Psalm 22. The author is King David. He wrote this centuries before, before crucifixion had ever come about. It is said that nothing in David's personal life, no tragedy, no pain, nothing that ever had come about would be able to give the description of a crucifixion like what he has written here. Crucifixion was something that the Romans instituted. It was not from the Jews. David David would have no more ability to write about a crucifixion than he would to give a description of death by lethal injection. Derek Kidner would say, no incident recorded of David can begin to account for this. The language of the psalm defies a naturalistic explanation. The best account is in the terms used by Peter concerning another psalm of David. Being therefore a prophet, he foresaw and spoke of the Christ. As we're reading through and focusing on Psalm 22, we will be, see, we will be shown Christ on the cross. I will be reading in a moment verses 1 through 21 where we will see the suffering Savior. A suffering Savior. I would like to explain a little bit about what I will be reading first in the first half of Psalm 21 and let you know that it is actually divided into six parts As we go through them, you will see sections 1 and 3, verses 5 and 3, verses 5 through 6, 9 and 11, 12 through 18, and 19 through 21 are all different sections. And in those, the even number, 1, 3, and 5 sections are actually the author's suffering. And the even numbers, 2, 4, and 6, are prayers to God. Now, as before I read this, I want us to remember a little bit about the day that Christ was hung on the cross. What had happened before that? There was a trial and a conviction. Not much of a trial, and there was no evidence of guilt, but there was a conviction. And it was done so that an angry mob could have their way. Soldiers drove nails into Jesus' hands and feet and hung him on a cross. Jesus would look down at his mother and say, Behold your son, as John was next to her. And to John he would say, Behold your mother, that his mother would be taken care of. He would tell the thief on the cross next to him, the one that had already said verbal assaults to him because he showed faith today you will be with me in paradise but things at noon changed it got dark and when that happened we read in Psalm 22 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek, see me, mock me, and they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusted in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. You, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from the mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bethshan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and a roaring lion, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothes they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do be far off. Do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life, the power of the dogs. Save me from the mouth of the lions. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild one. I think that verse 1 says it all from the suffering Savior as he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He has said very little before this, but his first words Here are my God. And this is not a statement of loss of relationship. He is still God. Jesus hanging on the cross is God. And God the Father is still present. He still loves his son. But some would say Jesus said these words to get attention that he was an imposter. It would be those that would not say that Jesus was the Son of God, that he would not be there to take on the sins of the world. No, he was using an Old Testament quotation to bring attention to himself, but that's not true. Others would say that Jesus felt forsaken, but it was more than that. The fact is that he was not forsaken, and the whole psalm will say that. When I say that he was not forsaken, it means that he was not completely in abandonment. 
because we know and understand that later he was raised from the dead. God still worked through him. These words do not reflect despair because despair is sin because it shows a lack of faith in God. Jesus did not sin. God was with him, holding him. Nor could it mean that the Holy Spirit had left him and his power had been withdrawn from him. We remember that when Jesus was baptized, God the Father himself said that he was well pleased with his Son. And like a dove, the Holy Spirit descended from heaven and came upon Christ, never to leave. It was there. His power was there for an eternity. But according to the New Testament teaching, Jesus was forsaken by God while he bore the sins of his people on the cross. He was viewed not as the beloved son, but as the sin of the world. This is his identity on the cross. This is how God the Father, God the Creator, the absolute integrity God saw him as the sin of the world. But this is the very essence of what an atonement work is that Christ has done. Christ came to this world, true God, true man, led a perfect life, a sinless life, and was given over to death for the atoning price of sin. Sin that we had caused and done. Not his sin, but he took upon himself and he paid the price of his own death. And God said, that was the atoning work needed. As the hours of darkness came, God's countenance and sense of presence were removed and Jesus bore the wrath of God against sin for us. James Montgomery Boyce would write, how could this happen? How could one member of the eternal trinity turn his back on another member of the trinity? I do not know. I cannot explain it. But I believe that this is what the Bible teaches. So great was the love of God for us, and so great was the price Jesus willingly paid for us for our iniquities. But the psalm now goes from suffering to prayer. In verses 3 and 5, we see the prayer, and it says, But you are holy, O God. You are the Father that we trusted. You are the one that have a people unto your own. And we know that God has called a people unto himself. And we know that he has been faithful to them even when they were not faithful to God. And God will not turn his back on them. God will never allow them to be of shame by those that look on his people and say, where is your God now? That will not happen because it would bring shame to God himself. God is faithful and he will be with his family and with his people forever. From prayer, we go back to suffering. 
And from abandonment, we see the scorn of the people. Verses 6 through 8. There is much more in this life than physical pain. There's internal pain. There's pain that comes from words that are said in anger or scorn or to bring us great internal pain deep down in our souls. There are those that are very good at bringing us low just using words. It's to our very innermost that they take and they belittle us, whatever way that might be. But on the cross, we see this happening to Jesus himself. Those that were there would say, you could save others, why can't you save yourself? He said he was the son of God. Let God come down and save him now. Where is this God? God's word says that there will come a judgment for each one of us and we will be held accountable for every act and every word that we say. Can you imagine those that stand before a righteous God without the righteousness of Christ upon them because they have not professed him as Lord and Savior and God asks them to account for all the times that they used his name to belittle him or things that were said to bring mockery to the holy God. I think that their punishment will be swift and mighty coming from God. I think the, the warning that we have in the New Testament is good and we should adhere to it because it says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. Prayer comes again. And it is more about a faithful God. This is the only part in this psalm that comes twice, is reminding us of a faithful God. The first time it was more about his people, it gets more personal because David is recounting exactly how God has known him all of his life. From the time that he started in the womb and grew through birth, being loved by a mother, all through his life, God has been there and been faithful. I think that part of the reason that this comes to us twice is that we as people must understand that we can sometimes question is God faithful? And they, that might come out of just the despair or the situation that we are in. But we must remember, if God was faithful enough to send his son to the cross to save sinners, no matter what comes about in this life, he will never leave or forsake us. He is a faithful God. Next section, 12 through 18, talks about physical suffering again. It is a vivid account of the crucifixion. I encourage you to follow along as I read from a commentator and his view 
on how this comes about as a description of crucifixion. It will actually start in verse 14. But I read now what he has written. Psalm 22 is a graphic picture of death by crucifixion. The bones of the hands and arms and shoulders and pelvis are out of shape. Verse 14. The profuse profuse perspiration caused by intense suffering. Verse 14. The actions of the heart affected. Verse 14. Strength exhausted and extreme thirst. Verse 15. The hands and feet pierced. Verse 16. Nudity with the hurt to modesty, verse 17, are all associated with that mode of death. The accompanying circumstances are precisely those fulfilled in the crucifixion of Christ. The desolate cry in verse 1, which is countered by Matthew 27, verse 46. The periods of light and darkness in verse 2, Matthew 27, Verse 45, the contemptuous and humiliating treatment in verses 6 through 8, 12 through 13, as seen in Matthew 27, verses 34 through 44, the casting of lots, verse 18, Matthew 27, verse 35, were all literally fulfilled. Then it is remembered that the crucifixion was a Roman, not a Jewish form of execution, and proof of inspiration is irresistible. Not only do we see the pain that is there in these verses, but we also see those that are waging this act of atrocity against Christ himself, the perpetrators, the brutal acts that will fall upon Christ himself. It's it's described as strong bulls from Bashan, ravening and roaring lions in a pack of dogs. Each one of these has kind of its own meaning. Strong bulls from this region are known because the area is so fertile. It has great crops, and the wildlife that grows there is large and very healthy. That's the type of bull. A roaring lion is seen many times in the Bible as the one of great strength. But the one that got my attention in this, I think, is the pack of dogs. We have, I think, in some ways, a distorted view of dogs. So many of us have them as a pet. We see them as man's best friend. But dogs, in their natural state, are killers and hunters. But there's one thing about the way that they hunt. They come together in packs. And because they work together, they can take down something much larger themselves, something of much more great power than them, because their number will undo them. This is what went after Christ himself. Jesus so many times would take on those that would come together likely ally, unlikely allies, such as the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the Herodians, the priests of that day, 
each of them different, having their own agendas, but when it come, came to hating Jesus Christ, they were united, and their plot was to kill him, to get rid of him. That is the pact that was against Christ. But the turning point in this part of the psalm comes and ends in verse 27 and 21. Because God is faithful and he is the one that delivers. Come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul. Save me. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. God is faithful and he does here. He has rescued He has rescued his servant, Jesus Christ. He brought him from the grave to life again. God's favor and presence are felt by him again. So from the suffering Savior, now we can see in the second half of this psalm the proclamation of the gospel. Proclamation of the gospel, verses 22 through 31. Follow along as I read, starting in verse 22. I will tell you of my name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregations, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the afflictions of the afflicted, and he has not hidden the face of him, but has heard when he has cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vow I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. For worship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of, him, of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. As we think about the proclamation of the gospel, we have to see in this part to whom it is proclaimed and how the atoning, of work, atoning work of Jesus will be spread. First, to whom it will be spread. First of all, it says, to my brothers. This is the Jews themselves. Whether we think of to my brothers as David, the author, or Jesus himself, they are both coming from from Jewish background. They are Jews, and first it is to their people. God said to Abraham that he would make a great nation from him and he would number them as many as the stars in the sky and from them would come one to deliver all of mankind. God first called his own people. 
But even though we see that they would despise him and would turn their back on them, he would remember them. Even those that when he was brought to trial, convicted, and killed, he would still be willing to draw a people unto himself from his own nation, Israel. He said and would be their Messiah. But also, there would be those that would come from the great assembly. How should we understand who is the great assembly? It says the rest of the world. From all of mankind, from every tribe and tongue, there will be those that will know and come to the Lord. This comes even in the Old Testament. Jesus said that he would call many types of people to himself. Jesus would speak of a great banquet. And he said that there were invitations given out to come to that banquet. But those that he invited did not come. So he told his servants, he said, go out into the city and bring those from out where you see them and bring them in before me of low stature, those that may be suffering or of little value to this world. Bring them. They are my guests. And in that example, we see that it was not only his people that he had brought in, but also those that the earth or that the world would say would not be worthy, all mankind. But the next was the future generation. And this really isn't as much a people group as it is a time. And it is a time from the time that Jesus was died on the cross, raised again, and would return to heaven that would include all the future generations of those that would be born for as long as this world continues to be by the grace of God God's word will be proclaimed. He will draw elect people unto himself. My friends, that's you and I today. We are part of that. Those that God has enlightened to the truth in our own hearts and redeemed us by the the work of him on the cross, paying the atoning price, we are part of that generation. Can you imagine that when Christ paid that price, he knew that we would come about and it was already decided who he would call unto himself. It should be very humbling for us to know that he was thinking of us. So how will this come about? How will this be proclaimed among all the nations? By faithfully proclaiming the gospel message, Christ on the cross. We have to go to Acts chapter 1, and we see Jesus' plan for how he would spread the gospel message. He had risen from the dead. He had been among believers for 40 days. He had a great witness of those that had seen him after he had risen from the dead. And they asked him, 
when will you restore the kingdom? Meaning, when will you make Israel great again? His answer to them was, you don't have to worry about times. The Father will worry about that. What I want from you is for you to be a witness of me in all of the world. Tell of what you have seen. And he started by saying, I want you to tell of what, you have, what I have done in Jerusalem itself, the city. But expand out from then there in all of Judea and then into Samaria. And the two examples that he gave, Judea was among their own people, but Samaria was people that they did not like. They did not think that they were worthy of anything before, but Jesus said, they are worthy to hear of what I have done. Be my witness to them. And he said, finally, to all of the world, go and profess the name of Christ. Christ died on the cross. Christ risen again for the payment of sin. The psalm ends, and we know that it's finished. The righteous demand of God for sinners' punishment has been fully satisfied by Christ's death. No other work needs to be done. Nothing has to be added. It's complete. Only trust in Christ's work is needed. Faith alone. Paul would remind us there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For many of us here this morning, this has been a time to look at God's word in a psalm and we see a prophecy being made of something that will happen centuries before. It is enlightening. It should increase and give us a new enthusiasm, not only to be a witness for Christ, but it should be humbling for us for what Christ has done in our individual lives. But also there may be those here today that do not realize the full extent of the sin and the effect that it has on their lives. That because each one of us is born in sin, we will spend an eternity separated from God because of that sin if that sin is not dealt with. There must be an atoning work done for that sin. There is nothing that we can do of our own. The atoning work of Christ himself is what will satisfy the wrath of God. And when it comes to that time of judgment before God himself, he will not look at the sin of mankind. He will look at those that have professed faith in Christ and see the righteousness of Christ. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. My prayer is this morning, for those that are still seeking to know the truth of God, that you come and see Pastor Doug or myself. We would gladly speak with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know that we can even 
comprehend to a small part what death in this manner must be like. But we know that your son endured it, or endured it for us. We know that it was your perfect plan from the beginning that you would send him to atone for sin. That he would take on the wrath of sinful mankind. That you would use men that would come together as a pack of dogs. You would not create that evil in their hearts, but even that you would use as your plan of salvation. And we thank you that you are that God. We pray that we, be, we continue to be faithful to the appointment that you have put on our individual lives, which is to profess the gospel, whether it's in this city, among our own family, to our loved ones, or to the parts of the earth. Lord, allow us to be part of that work. And we know that when we do that, it is not in our strength, but it comes, hearts are changed because of the power of the gospel message. Continue to use us. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.